Hello and welcome to Audio Mission Prayer Focus for January 2014. I'm Trevor Smith and this month we span Africa, Asia and Latin America as we look forward to a new year of mission. Later we'll hear from mission partners Ed and Marie Bryce about their new posting in northern Argentina and the still ongoing struggle for land rights of local indigenous people. But we start with Africa as we speak to two of the leading lights of CMS Africa, Mission Network's manager Sarah Wambua and firstly Executive Director Dennis Tongoy. Naomi Steinberg spoke to Dennis and learned how he had been leading training workshops alongside Asia CMS in Pakistan on the very weekend when All Saints Church in Peshawar was attacked by suicide bombers and Dennis's home city of Nairobi was also under attack as El Shabab took control of the Westgate shopping centre. In God's own providence, the Westgate terror activity happened on a Saturday morning so I heard about it like uh, Saturday evening and I was speaking at a church service in uh, Islamabad on Sunday morning and that's the time the Peshawar incident also took place. So within a 12 hour span we had both the Westgate and the Peshawar uh, terror attack taking place. Westgate is actually a mall where we, we go to very often as a family. In fact, I, as I was, I, was, I was processing this whole thing I felt if I was in Pakistan maybe I would have been at Westgate. And my wife was actually going to go to Westgate that morning and she bypassed it and went to see somebody else just down the road. And we, you know, I lost a personal friend. Uh, one of my staff members lost her uncle. My daughter, who I just met uh, yesterday, lost a colleague. His, his wife was, 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 was killed. He's had his leg amputated. So it's a very, very personal thing for us. And uh, the Peshawar incident was very similar to for my colleagues in, um, in Pakistan because some of the people who, are, who, who lost their close family members have personally known to the team in, um, in Islamabad. So there's an identification with just understanding what does, what A, I think there's two things. One is understanding the urgency of the message that we preach, of the hope we have in Christ Jesus, and the fact that our Lord is a lamb upon the throne. He understands the pain that we go through, but also realizing the need to change the story, particularly in the Islamic context. And to me, this, the, the Muslim is to me what I'd say is the Samaritan or he's a different religion, he's a, he's a, he's a different worldview, that we actually need to love into the kingdom. And uh, for me personally, I feel that if one act of terror can have such impact, what will one act of love do? And my perception is that we have a, a weapon of mass construction, and that's called love. They have a weapon of mass destruction, that's called terrorism. We can love them into the kingdom, and love is supernatural. It creates as much despondency in the kingdom of darkness as the terror does in the kingdom of light. And so we need to actually unleash the weapon of love our neighbor into their context and really love them and serve them because that's what our master did. And uh, to me, the price of loving our neighbor shows that God is at work in us. And we're going to change the story and look at the Muslim not as a terrorist, but as a person who needs to know God. And so I think part of our challenge as a, as a church is how do we change the story to, to view these people who are coming to, to destroy us. And I'm talking about us, whether it's Pakistan or Kenya or the US, the UK, because we all experience this, but how do we change their story to start seeing men and women as made in God's image, worthy of, 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 of service. Dennis then told Naomi about the Samaritan strategy training he'd gone to share with churches in Pakistan, and first about their perceptions of Kenya. I think one of the paradigm shifts for them was that can anything good come out of Africa? One of the gentlemen at the end of the conference actually did come to that place of repentance and felt he's always looked down on black people as if they have nothing to offer and they are, you know, because of the caste system within the, within the Asian continent. 
uh, the black people are right at the bottom. So for them to receive something from a black person, I think was very humbling. But they were very, very ready for it. I mean, one of the participants did say, like I wrote, I wrote down there, where have you been? Um, I think, I think uh, the journeys where the churches are, we're in a very similar situation where we're trying to see, we know the gospel has power, but we don't see the power at work. But what the Vision Conference does, it gives you a holistic view of the gospel and literally unleashes the power of truth to begin seeing people engaging in very practical ways in, uh, in not just individual salvation, but in the transformation of their communities. So I think, I think the perception of, of uh, my perception of Pakistan changed, seeing a very vibrant church, um, very deep church, because being a minority, it, 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 you do pay a price to be, a, to be a Christian. And their perception of Africa changed, that Africa does have something offered to Pakistan. So that is actually a mutual exchange where I feel that we can benefit a lot from the depth of their faith, and they can benefit a lot from our experiences in, in engaging in contexts that are marginalized. So in the training, did you, um, do you use seed projects in Africa as examples for them, or do you want them to sort of think yeah. independently yeah. of that and not I sort mean, of copy yeah, no, what's going on? No, our training is not, is not prognostic, it's diagnostic. They come up with their own solutions. I know that there was also recently Samaritan Strategy uh, training done in the Philippines, but I don't yes. know, was that CMS Africa facilitating we're, we're, that as well? We're part or? of a global, a global network. Mm. Um, I'm actually with the global leadership team uh, when we actually meet once a year, like next month I'm going to be in Phoenix. And we have an Asia team uh, that does coordinating training in Asia. But the Africa team has basically paved the way, uh, has been lo the longest serving and the most coordinated. I've been coordinating the Africa trainers uh, for the last seven or eight years. We now have an Asia team that's forming. We have a, a Latin American team that's forming. We just begin to see the beginnings of a European team uh, starting to form. Like our next global conference is going to be here in the UK. I'm trying to see whether they can actually bring some of the Europeans aboard. Uh, because most people thought, thought that this is training for the third world. But you see, poverty is not necessarily material. In this context, your poverty is spiritual and social. You may have materially less poverty than we have, but the social poverty in this country is just as, as devastating as the material poverty we have in Africa. And so how do you respond in this context with a gospel that actually begins to cause the church to be relevant to this community. One of the questions we do ask in our training is that if you shut down your church today, who would miss you? Will the community say, good riddance? Will they say, oh, are they really there in the beginning? Or do you have no relevance at all to the community? So if the church is with salt and light, it must mean that the community must need the church or must see the relevance of the, of the church. But unfortunately, most churches, if they open or didn't open, makes no difference to the community. Dennis Tongoy with a challenge to us all. Would people in the community miss our church if it closed down? Meanwhile, Jeremy Woodham asked Dennis's colleague Sarah Wambua, CMS Africa Mission Networks Manager, about a move of God's spirit leading to new exchanges between churches in Africa for mission. I'm interested in some of the relationships that have sprung up between uh, churches, between dioceses, between different groups, even in different countries through your work. You've mentioned exchange visits. Uh, there was one between two mothers' union groups recently. Can you tell us how that came about? We had a very exciting visit to Kenya by the mothers' union uh, leaders from the Diocese of Byumba in Rwanda. And this happened in the month of July this year. The visit was very exciting. Eight women came together with their bishop. During the day, they were taken through the ministries that the church was doing, particularly 
uh, the ministries by the Mothers' Union in the diocese. The experience was great for them. Uh, in a nutshell, I remember the bishop's wife saying that this was an experience that they needed to write down. They had never experienced anything like this before. She said uh, they had learned that women can do amazing things like running a bank. These women in the Mount Kenya South had started a, a, a merry-go-round initially as women and they developed into a bank that was uh, with a portfolio of 300 or so million in Kenya shillings, which is uh, a, a very big uh, jump. And so the diocese realized this is very serious and, you know, partnered with them as Mother's Union. And it's a, it's a talk uh, in, in Kenya, actually, among the, the Mother's Union groups. So the Rwandan group got a sense of what was possible. How about the hosts? How did the visit affect them? We had the opportunity to, uh, during the last day, to join with them uh, over a meal. And uh, the messengers that were coming were amazing because uh, one would think that there would be little that the women from Mount Kenya South would learn from these women, but we recognized that they had impacted them. Most of them said they had never been to Rwanda. They had heard about Rwanda. They said they knew that Rwanda was doing very well in the area of reconciliation. And Kenya had gone through uh, post-election violence a few years back. So they said they would want to um, experience how they had managed their peace building and reconciliation in Rwanda, because that is something they talked about. And definitely anybody in Kenya has heard about uh, uh, what happened in Rwanda and how they were managing their peace and conflict. Uh, so they actually passionately requested that, please invite us, uh, we would like to visit with you again. So they have formed a, a relationship and a friendship and they have been writing. Uh, I, I came to know that recently. They have been writing and communicating and this is uh, quite fulfilling. Mm. Give us a couple of points to pray for, for, for your work and CMS Africa. We are recognizing that there's something new that God is doing in this whole area of cross-cultural visits. We are realizing that uh, it's empowering the church in Africa, women and generally the church. And so we have uh, taken it up to plan and implement visits that are being requested quite frequently now by churches, whether at diocesan level or by mothers' union leaders. So this is one area that we would like um, to see what God is doing and to explore how we can best respond. Sarah Wambua of CMS Africa talking to Jeremy Woodham about the value of cross-cultural learning. It's worth reflecting on how we might learn from someone of another culture in the coming year. Ed and Marie Bryce have been mission partners in South America for a long time. After 37 years serving in Paraguay, they made the move across the border last year to Tartagal in northern Argentina, 
where he works with both an indigenous and non-indigenous congregation and is also chaplain to the Associana team, the Anglican organisation that accompanies indigenous people in their campaign for land rights. Ed told Jeremy Woodham how they also had opportunities to revive the faith of some of the young people. One of the things that impressed me or surprised me about Tartagal when we first visited it was the number of churches that were there. And uh, when the bishop told us about this little congregation, having seen so many churches, I thought, well, the last thing I want to do is start another church in a place which already seems to be loaded down with them. So what we're concentrating on really is accompanying the Christians that are in the congregation already, encouraging them in their faith, and also helping with the Sunday school, and just seeing what happens, really. One uh, need that we have identified is that there are quite a number of people that we're coming into contact with who are ex-students from the Sunday school, people who now have their own small families or young children. And so many of these are people who've been exposed to the gospel, maybe have responded as to, as to a certain point to the gospel, but uh, have no contact with church at the moment, uh, but are very open. And so that's one area that we're interested in following through. And God does seem to be opening other doors as well, um, through, again, somebody who was in the, in the Anglican church a number of years ago. His daughter had a boyfriend, as daughters tend to have, and the boyfriend was from a Roman Catholic background, and was really impressed by the faith of her parents and the way they prayed for meals and they prayed for the family. And he was really keen to develop his own Christian faith. And so the parents, the girl's parents approached us for materials, which we offered them. And then the girl said, well, actually, I don't want to do any study with my parents because uh, that's, that's my dad, isn't it? I'd rather do it with somebody else. So they said, can you do it? So we said, okay. So they came along and then the girl said, can I bring from some friends with me? And so we now have a group of about five uh, young people studying with us uh, and people who've come to faith at different, mostly some of them have had an, an experience of Christ in their lives when they were very young and then have basically not developed it. And others like this young man's experience of Christ has been much later on in his life. But they're all people who are wanting to, to deepen their faith. So that's very exciting. And these are just things that landed on us. We didn't really look for them. You mentioned the issue of land rights being involved in, mm. in Paraguay as well as mm. now with the team in Argentina. What are the current sort of issues there they're facing? The current issues are the same issues that, that were current 20 years ago, unfortunately. <laughs> the provincial government of the Salta province, which is one of the provinces of Argentina where the Anglican Church works, um made promises to the Indian people that they would give them land and their promises that they've gone back on again and again. And the latest development that before we left at the end of June was that the uh, Indians had approached the Inter-American Court of Human Rights to say that the government wasn't fulfilling on its obligations, which are stated clearly in the, co in the national constitution and on the promises that they've made to the Indians repeatedly. So the Inter-American Court of Human Rights sent down a delegation uh, to Argentina, visited the area, visited the government officials, both the provincial and the national government, and they gave them yet another uh, period of six months in order to get their act together before they go on to the next stage of the, of the, um, the judicial procedure. And the Sunday we left Tartagal, 
we were visited by a chap called Francisco Perez, who's the Wichi Indian leader who's responsible for the NGO, which is involved in all these negotiations with the government. And he, he's a tremendous Christian man. And he said to us, it's just like Moses and Pharaoh. We just keep going back and then make a promise and then they go back on it. But just like Moses, Francisco is absolutely sure that God will work through this situation and miraculously will do what the government doesn't want to do, basically give them the land that they've promised them. So it requires a great deal of patience and a great deal of persistence and a good deal of um, of a miracle that God will really work and convince the government that it's for their own good and for their own prestige that they should solve this problem. That's one area of the work. The other area nearer where we're living is much more depressing because the agricultural frontier is advancing at such a rapid rate that many Indian communities are finding themselves on land which has already been completely cleared and it's absolutely useless for them even should they get um, what the constitution allows them to get. So the situation there is much more difficult, it's much more depressing for the team who are working with those communities because it's difficult to see what potential solutions there are available really. The Asociana team who are involved in this land rights questions are also pressured because there are different factors which have affected the viability of their work, basically economic factors uh, which are affecting the team. So not only are they pressured from the very nature of the work they're involved in, uh, continually battling against uh, very powerful influences, but on the other hand, the actual finances for the programme have been uh, very difficult. They recently employed a chap called Danny Lescano, a local chap who's trying to sort out and, and have a more strategic vision of getting funds for the organisation, but they're still going through a fairly rocky period at the moment of uncertainty. So it'd be good to pray for Danny and pray for the team members and the team as a whole that they'd have clear vision of where God wants them to be focusing their attention. Then for Francisco, who's been at this for such a long time that God will give him the grace to continue and really for a miracle that um, within the the provincial and the state government they'll be able to come to an agreement and finance this process which it, that many steps have been taken there are many positive things that have been done which make it possible for the Indians to they, they're already started negotiating with the Criollos or the uh, the non-Indian Argentines who live in the same area there are negotiations underway there are agreements about different families moving but all this needs to be backed up by the government action giving the title deeds both to the Indians and to the Criollos. So really we need to be praying that God will intervene in, in that situation. Let's continue to stand in prayer with the Asociana team that funding would be found and that they will be granted the grace to persevere in this long-standing struggle and that God will intervene for the sake of justice. Our reflection to wrap up this edition comes from Paul Thaxter, CMS International Mission Director. All these stories strike a personal chord with me since I've had the privilege of meeting some of God's incredible family in each of these places mentioned. I have drunk coffee in peace in a Westgate Centre. I've been in Peshawar meeting faithful Christians. The weekend of those terrible incidents where many lives were lost in awful circumstances I was overcome by a spirit of prayer. 
I mentioned this to Dennis Tongoy later on, and he said likewise. He was up early in the morning in intense prayer, praying for people in both continents. Dennis from CMS Africa, sharing in grief with Amir from Asia CMS in Islamabad, made me reflect that God is really wanting us as a CMS global family to continue to develop an interchange of prayer for the whole world, where we share one another's joys and sufferings. The exchange visit of the Mother's Union between Rwanda and Kenya led to an interchange of learning and a shared vision to change the world through women's empowerment and reconciliation through Christ. The challenge of land rights and discipleship issues facing Indian communities within the Chakul raises the question of how do we identify meaningfully with the issues that communities face every day. These stories that we've heard today lead us into wanting to see the world transformed by the love of Christ and encourage us to pray for all those people mentioned within the stories and particularly for those victims of violence and war and evil. I want to conclude with a prayer based on Ephesians chapter 3 and picking up on Dennis's encouragement for us to develop weapons of mass construction, love being the end game of all that we do. And the Apostle Paul prays that the Ephesian Christians would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we may all be filled up to the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen Paul Thaxter bringing this month's audio mission to a close join us next time for more voices from the front line of mission around the world <laughs>